0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to my spoiler review on Halloween Kills. Normally, I'll have a non-spoiler review that comes out before a movie is out or or maybe just after it. But I had some weird scheduling this week. I had something on Friday uh, that uh, was a routine uh, medical procedure, but something that kind of took me out of commission. And then yesterday was the DC Fandom, so I was working on that uh, for the day. Uh, so we're now we, we're here on Sunday, and with Halloween Kills, so much of my thoughts uh, around the movie are centered around things that wouldn't I wouldn't be able to talk about in a non-spoiler review. So I figured, let's talk about the movie. We're just gonna do a full spoiler talk, so I'm gonna give the blanket warning right here if you haven't seen Halloween Kills, I'm gonna be getting into uh, plot details pretty much from the very beginning. I didn't really like the movie. If you want the, the cliff notes of what I thought, uh, but for some very interesting reasons, and there's been some pushback on it, and just a lot of different things to discuss. So blanket spoiler warning right now. Also, something that I wanted to note before we start is that uh, you've heard me mention here on the channel that I am starting or have started an audio podcast uh, channel. If you want a review of The Last Duel, which is is another big release, Ridley Scott-directed movie, uh, co-written by and also co-starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Jodie Comer also in the film, Adam Driver. You can find that review on the podcast channel. Uh, It's not something that I thought that I was going to because of the weird scheduling put on YouTube, but I am going to record something that you can find over on the audio uh, side of things. So if you want to check out those links, you can go down there. You can get this review, you can get charts, you can get everything that we're putting out here on the channel on the podcast network. And from time to time, we're also going to have audio-exclusive reviews like I have with The Last Duel. But we're not here to talk about The Last Duel. We're here to talk about Halloween Kills, which returns most of the talent behind the camera from the 2018 film. David Gordon Green returns to direct. He also co-wrote the screenplay with Dana McBride and Scott Teams, who joins the writing team, for this movie. And I was actually really looking forward to 3 years ago now, uh 2018's Halloween because of how it was being marketed. I've got the Michael Myers shirt on today. The the original Halloween 1978 is I think one of the best movies ever made. I don't I'm not saying horror movies. I think it is one of the essential movies ever made. I think it is perfection as far as uh the early form of what is and still in many ways the modern horror movie. It's a movie that I watch every single year on Halloween with Mara. It has never lost its edge. Uh, You know, and the franchise itself, uh, there's definitely ups and downs. Uh, I would say that there are definitely some atrocious Halloween films. There are other Halloween films that I don't really mind. But the big pull for me when the 2018 version was released was the idea of coming to an actual, uh, perhaps canonical conclusion with the character of Laurie Strode, who's played by Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. They were wiping out all of the continuity beyond 1978. This is not something new. They did that with Halloween, uh, H2O, you know, 20 plus years ago, but I liked the team behind the movie. I liked the approach they were going for. So I was very excited for that film because I thought that we were finally going to get a proper ending to this story. I was disappointed in 2018's Halloween, largely because it did not deliver that, but instead was a vehicle to serve up more sequels Uh, in this franchise. It was essentially another reset to make more money, which is something that the franchise has done before. I I revisited that film, actually, before I watched Halloween Kills, thinking, well, maybe I've adjusted my opinions on it a little bit, and I really haven't. I don't think it's a terrible movie by any means. I think it's quite effective in a lot of different places. This movie, I think, is a big step backward, even from 2018's Halloween. It makes that movie look much, much better Uh, by comparison, and I wanted to get into some of the reasons why. I talked a little bit about how I felt about this movie on Twitter, and I already got some pushback from people saying, like, well, what did you expect? You don't understand schlock. What did did you think you were going to get out of a slasher film? And, you know, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, and and I hate that that's the defense for so many people, that if they disagree with you about a film, that their automatic response is like, well, you don't get it. Well, you just don't understand how to like the movie. Well, I think that's a terrible way to react to people that disagree with you, uh, because that's basically saying that you have the objective right opinion, and anyone who disagrees with you just doesn't understand how to enjoy certain films. I actually got that a little bit when I put out my thoughts, even though I didn't do a review about it, about Malignant, uh, which was another polarizing horror film that came out uh, in the last few weeks, and I, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I admired the guts that it had, but I wasn't really along for the journey, and people saying, well, you just don't really understand how to enjoy it. If you knew how to enjoy this kind of movie, then you'd love it. Well, no, I I think that you either like movies or you don't like movies. And these are the reasons why I didn't like this movie. I I like plenty of gore-fest, splatter-fest movies. I like plenty of movies that are just generic slasher sequels. I'm a big fan of the the Scream sequels, even though really the first one is, I think, easily the best. I, I like Camp. I'm a big fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, even though those are very high camp in many different places. If there's a movie that has an identity and it's very assured of that identity and is able to achieve the goals that they're setting out for, then even if I don't acknowledge it as a great movie, I can still say that I enjoy it. I did not enjoy Halloween Kills because I think that it is an absolute mess. It is a formless blob that is trying to accomplish about five different things with a mixture of different conflicting tones. It contradicts itself. So let's get into really the reasons why I didn't like this movie. First and foremost, this is another iteration of this idea of selling, even with the trailers, that this is going to be the final confrontation. Even though we know that there's another Halloween movie coming, next year so this idea of uh you know evil dies tonight which oh my god i lost count of how many times the phrase evil dies tonight was said or chanted evil dies tonight Uh, And it's especially laughable because we know that there's another movie coming. And so the concept that evil is going to die tonight uh, is just patently false. And we all know that it's false. And yet the movie treats it so seriously that it's almost like it's ignoring its own broken promise before we even get started. Because evil's not going to die tonight because Halloween ends next year. And what makes it even funnier is that I can already tell that the next movie... Is going to once again set up for the third time the final confrontation between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. It's obvious that they didn't really know what to do with the character of Laurie in this movie because she's essentially sidelined for the entire thing. I mean, we're, we're going to get into what exactly she was doing in this film, but I can already see the trailers and what's going to be promised for Halloween ends, which is the same as they did with 2018's Halloween. It's going to be Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers in their final one. One-on-one conversation. It's all going to end now. Maybe it is actually going to end. I don't know. I don't really know what to expect from this series anymore. But we're going to, at the end of this series, have three consecutive films that have all marketed itself on "This Ends Tonight," when it's not ending tonight. It's just going into another sequel. When you look at the plot of this film, there really isn't one driving storyline. It's kind of a mixture of different things that all are sort of like just slamming against each other you have uh uh, this shameless kind of splatter gore film which is fine on its own that's worked you have an awkward meditation on the dangers of mob violence which again doesn't really belong with the other thing Uh, you have this retcon story where every character in the movie uh is either brought back from a previous connection to michael myers or we're establishing what their connection to michael myers is we have these flashbacks to halloween night of 1978 which is a whole other thing that we're going to get to, but I think what's really kind of ironic, I guess, or funny, or whatever you want to call, it, is that the whole uh, thing with this story, if you go back to Halloween 2018, was the idea that they were ditching all of this complicated mythology around the Halloween franchise, and and really streamlining it just to Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, and now what we have with this sequel is the building of a, a, an almost as intricate, if not more intricate mythology around this character, by bringing all of these different people in, and establishing all this different Backstory retconning everything, bringing in all these things that obviously weren't in place for the last movie into this movie, so that now we're trying to build the story of this town and the thing. None of it really worked for me, and again, it's because you you're undoing the whole intention of what it seemed like you were trying to do with the last movie, which is to sort of pare this down to a very personal story. Now we have a movie that's like kind of about the entire town, which again is fine if that's the one thing you're trying to accomplish, but it's not the one thing you're trying to accomplish. It's on a list of 15 different things that you're trying to accomplish in this movie I guess they loved that they were able to bring Laurie Strode back and Jamie Lee Curtis back for the last movie because this one is just chock-a-block. It's basically, if you had a speaking line in the original 1978 Halloween and you're still alive canonically, you're in the movie. We have Tommy Doyle who's coming back. He's not played by Paul Rudd. He'd already played an adult or at least a grown-up Tommy Doyle in the franchise. He's played by Anthony Michael Hall in this film. Lindsay Wallace is back. She's played by the returning actor Kyle Richards. Marion Chambers, you remember the nurse in the car at the beginning of 1978? she's back she's played by the returning actress nancy stevens we have the sheriff back who's played by lee brackett he's returning from the original film we have lonnie the bully who got scared off the porch he got name dropped in the last film now he's back in this film apparently uh, nobody was so traumatized by the horrific murders of 40 years ago that they thought to pack up and leave town. As a matter of fact, it seems like some characters are coming back into town. We also get returning characters from the last movie, of course. Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. We have Judy Greer as her daughter, Karen. Uh, Andy Maticek as Laurie's granddaughter, Allison. And then we have a few new characters who are really just grist for the Michael Myers mill, and they're particularly dumb characters at that. These new characters were part of the generic slasher sequel thing, where you introduce new people, it's kind of the Friday the 13th formula, they're not really there to do anything but die, which is fine if that's the movie you're going for, but Halloween Kills was not going exclusively for that, so it just doesn't really mesh with anything else in this movie. So, we start off the movie where we ended the last one. Lori's house is burning. This really is where Halloween should have ended. We find out how Michael survived the fire, which is that he pulled down the little clerk's roll down door and he was just in the gun cabinet. So, that's how he survived the fire. All right, cool. Uh, He takes out some firefighters and then he immediately becomes John Wick. He's just John Wicking everybody around him. He kills an entire platoon of firefighters. He's chopping them and slicing them and, you know, cutting them with the saw. I would have jumped back in the fire truck if it were me, but I guess nobody thought. of that. They thought that they would just try to take Michael Myers one-on-one. You'd think maybe after he killed the first five or six guys that you might say like, hey, maybe I'm not going to stand such a good chance. Uh, nobody really had that thought. So he, he murks an entire just uh, engine company of firefighters, and then he continues his journey uh, through Haddonfield. Speaking of Haddonfield, we get a little bit of backstory about what happened uh, 40 years ago on that night because the character of uh, Hawkins, who's played by Will Patton, is unkilled uh, from the last movie. This is another slasher thing where you unkill a character to continue their story uh, in this film. And so we have this flashback to 1978. We see after what happened after the credits rolled. Michael Myers is just roaming around the neighborhoods. We have a bunch of Haddonfield police who have exceptionally poor marksmanship uh, who are just following Michael around. But a young Hawkins ends up in the Myers house with his partner. Uh, he, his partner is held hostage by Michael Myers, and he shoots and kills his partner, trying to kill Michael. Uh, Michael ends up outside of the house, uh, and then we have deep fake Dr. Loomis, who comes in, uh, runs in, and is like, did he murder anyone? Is he... You know, whatever you say in the Dr. Loomis voice. And then she, Loomis is about to just straight up blow Michael's brains out, but Hawkins stops him from shooting him, and so now he feels responsible for the Michael Myers massacre. So now uh, he's sharing a hospital room with Laurie Strode, and they're just kind of having this debate with Laurie Strode saying, like, I have to kill Michael. And the other one's saying, like, no, I have to kill Michael. It, it's 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 a whole thing uh, that doesn't pay off in this movie in any way, shape, or form. I think it's all set up for whatever's going to happen in this next film. By the way, I hope that Donald Pleasance's estate got a nice chunk of change from this film, because, uh, to quote Bill Murray from Tootsie, uh, we're entering a bit of a weird area here. I, I, I think we really crossed the threshold uh, with Rogue One when we just straight up revived uh, Peter Cushing. These effects don't really sell me. I mean, it, I just don't buy into it. I, I don't buy into the reality of it. I never have. Maybe I'll never be able to to just cross that in my brain. Maybe I'll never buy that these characters because I know that the actor is dead. But I didn't buy anything of this animated Dr. Loomis coming in. Uh, and yeah, the idea that we are now continually reviving dead actors to put into movies I I don't know. It it just doesn't quite sit well with me. Speaking of bringing back actors, there are plenty of alive actors that were brought back, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And we meet them at this uh, Halloween talent show, which is really like the most depressing show in town because we have tommy doyle we have lindsey wallace we have lonnie we have the nurse who i'm pretty sure she didn't live in haddonfield so she either moved to haddonfield after the murders or she she drove in uh to drink and tell sad stories for a night tommy really brings the mood down in this bar which is already kind of depressing uh in the middle of this talent show when he just kind of tells the somber story of being the survivor of the babysitter murders it's halloween night bro come on Uh, let's keep the mood vibrant we had a ventriloquist act on after you I really don't know if your somber meditation uh, on the murders that happened is, is the place to do it maybe at a town memorial or something not the town talent show at the local dive bar and this is also a continuation of a trend that I'm not really a fan of and, and it happens so much with these revivals which is that everybody that you loved from a previous film when you do these revivals is miserable when you come back to them It, it and honestly The Force Awakens did it too uh, you have this big Return of the Jedi happy ending and then you come back and everybody's miserable and you're back into a war same with this with Halloween nobody's happy Everybody's miserable, and I'm not saying that necessarily these characters should be happy, it's just that this is becoming a trope where when you bring these actors back after X amount of years to come back to these franchises, almost without exception, their story beat is and then their life went to shit. And they're miserable, and they hate everything, and this is just about exploring their misery and depression, etc. I understand why it's an interesting story, but it's also a story that keeps getting told over and over and over again. The people that you loved in these older movies had terrible lives after you caught up with them. After a while, it's like, not only is it not interesting, it's like, uh, come on, somebody must have had a happy life. Apparently not, according to the movies. Michael Myers, meanwhile, is out in Haddonfield doing what Michael Myers does, going on a rampage, and uh, there were a couple things that I liked. This couple that's killed in their homes... Uh, I think the first couple that are killed after the firefighters uh, are, are, are John Wicked. The reveal that we saw of him where they don't know where he is in the house and he turns on the light in the bathroom and we just see that reflection of Michael in the mirror. I like that because that's kind of classic Michael Myers stuff. The idea that uh, he's just sort of lurking. He's just in some quiet corner of your house or outside the window. That's what I think makes Michael Myers the scariest. It's not that he jumps out of the bushes at you. It's just that he's just kind of there. We get some pretty gnarly deaths. He stabs the guy a bunch of times with knives, and we have the fluorescent tube kill uh, in the throat. Again, we're, we've upped the gore factor a little bit, although I thought that the gore was already pretty over the top in the last movie. Through all of this, Laurie is in the hospital, much like she was in Halloween 2, and this is one of my least favorite things about the movie, because I thought that Jamie Lee Curtis was completely sidelined for this movie. It seemed very obvious that the character of Laurie is only in this movie to bridge the gap between the first movie and the third movie, which kind of makes me think that this movie didn't really need to exist. She is hurt, and then she gets up and says she's going to go fight Michael and, you know, jams herself with painkillers, etc. But then she's almost immediately hurt again and back in the hospital bed, and her job essentially is to just, like, talk about the past and then provide some narration about the town at the end of the movie, and then it's we're just going to jump ahead to Halloween ends. Um, As much as Laurie Strode had to do, and I thought that Jamie Lee Curtis was actually really good in the last Halloween movie, 2018's Halloween, she felt completely useless in this movie it's, it's like they found really no function for her character and again I think it's because they know that the third movie is going to be set up for this final confrontation between Michael and Laurie and that they couldn't do that again in this movie or explain well how does she have another confrontation with Michael but it's not the last one you know what forget it we'll worry about it in the next one just uh, put her back in the hospital bed and we'll think about it for the next movie I just it just felt kind of lazy like they just honestly didn't know what to do with her character so they just s- sidelined her for the the second film I'd also like to point out that this is a terrible hospital. First of all, the security staff is practically non existent. Uh, an entire mob takes over the place. The nursing staff, there's a critically wounded patient who's like out of bed and wielding a large bloody butcher knife uh, who they don't really care about. They, they let everybody walk around in their bloody clothes all night. Uh, just, just really poor staffing. But then the thing that really made me shake my head is not only is the morgue not in like the basement of the hospital, it's in like if you take the wrong turn on the right instead of the bathroom. You walk into the dead body room, Uh, but it's got windows so you can look in. So you have an open morgue so that if you've lost your loved one, you can see him right there on the slab. And not only is there an open windowed morgue, but they just leave uh, patients out there with their dongs out. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was the doctor from the last movie, and I know he did some pretty heinous stuff, but I mean, you know, Put a sheet over the guy. I mean, I I know he's dead, but can he have a little bit of privacy? Can you allow him to maintain just a little bit of dignity, what little dignity he has left from the last movie? So I guess it's really no shock that Haddonfield Memorial Hospital or whatever it's called in this movie was so easily overrun or that things descended into chaos because it's a pretty bad infrastructure to begin with because the last thing that I would want to see... Uh, Even if I had lost a loved one, is my loved one just sitting on a table hanging brain? I mean, come on, uh, amateur hour. It's amateur hour at this hospital so I mentioned before with the new characters about her they're just kind of grist for the mill and there were two couples in this movie who really exemplified this the first was the doctor and the nurse couple who are really just the dumbest couple this is a textbook slasher movie dumb couple there was no way that they were ever going to survive this movie but even by slasher movie standards this couple is just really dumb like the wife Michael didn't even really have to kill her he just has to kind of like open the door hard at her and she takes care of it herself and then you have Big John and Little John who have bought the old Myers house and renovated it. They are a movie gay couple in that they are what a lot of movies stereotype a gay couple to be. They renovate houses, they listen to old records, they eat fancy foods, they like to scare small children... I guess they're supposed to be the people that you like so that when Michael Myers kills them, you're like, oh, no, not them. Uh, Michael Myers apparently even liked him because, you know, if you remember the last movie, like, one of the cops, he, like, hollowed out the dude's head and stuck a flashlight in it like a jack-o'-lantern. He kills Big John and Little John, uh, and then he, like, poses them like they're enjoying a nice summer picnic. So I think even Michael Myers felt bad about killing these two. Uh, They just happened to be in his childhood home. Uh, So he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna scoop their brains out with a melon ball or whatever kitchen utensil he uses i'm just going to make it look like they're napping so that you know whoever finds them it's not going to be an entirely unpleasant experience for them speaking of the Myers house there's also a new wrinkle introduced in the story by hawkins who's really kind of trying to wrest the wheel of this franchise away uh, from laurie strode where he says that uh, in actuality in the last movie michael never actually cared about Lori. That was the doctor. The doctor took Michael to Laurie's house. He was just trying to go home. He just wants to go home and look out the window, apparently. Um, which, way to really raise the stakes going into the last movie by establishing that your central conflict uh, from the side of, of uh, Michael Myers really was never a conflict at all, and he doesn't really care about Laurie Strode. I mean, if he didn't, why wouldn't he just... The guy knows how to drive. Why didn't he just drive away from Laurie's house and go home? Uh, he had plenty of access to motor vehicles, but again, we're retconning here, so you can't really bring logic into it. But I did think that was a real way to defuse the stakes here by saying, like, "Oh, he doesn't—he you know, doesn't really care about you. Uh, he just—he just wants to go home." Uh, okay, f- yeah, fine, whatever, sure. Probably my least favorite part of the film is when things get really ugly at the hospital when the other patient who escaped from Smith's Grove shows up and people assume that he's Michael Myers. He looks kind of like Danny DeVito's Penguin. This segment went on for like 15 minutes and it's al- it, it, it got almost comical. Uh, you have literally the entire town and this guy shows up who everyone assumes uh, is Michael Myers uh, and everyone's like, get him! And so the guy's running up the stairs again for like 15 minutes and the whole town as one is is just, like, trying to crowd through the hallways and crowd up the stairs, and, like, you know, crashing into each other. Uh, You know, I get this. uh, Yes, okay, it's a mob. I understand that. But how long do we really need to watch the entire town trying to crowd up one stairwell uh, to chase this one person? And really, just to make you feel bad. They eventually corner the guy in one of those Incredible Hulk situations where, you know, he's got people on both sides, so he climbs out the window and jumps out, and then we see his brain splattered on the ground and his arm comes off uh, or whatever um yeah okay I understand mob justice is bad the mob mentality is bad you you make that point again really kind of at the end of the movie this again seemed like just more wheel spinning of just like okay we have to make the second movie but we really want to finish everything in the third movie so what's the second movie about it's like all right mob mob mentality uh, just have the mob run after this innocent guy for like 10 minutes and then you know that'll get us into act 3. Um maybe this is why Haddonfielders keep dying at the hands of Michael Myers. Uh, most of them just appear to be very stupid. Just just very very dumb, dumb people uh who who really can't function inside any sort of an everyday situation. This may very well explain why the town is so cursed. They they really bring it on themselves. So eventually Lori's granddaughter Allison goes to the Myers' house with her boyfriend Uh, and her boyfriend's dad, Lonnie. And they really prove completely inept at doing anything but shooting jack-o'-lanterns in closets. Allison really does nail the jack-o'-lantern that's in the closet of the Myers house for whatever reason. And then we have Cameron, the boyfriend's death scene. And this, again, was comical to me. It's it's all an execution. It was kind of like the steamroller death scene uh, from the first Austin Powers movie, uh, where the guy is just, like, slowly in the way of a steamroller and just won't move. Yes, Allison has fallen down the stairs. She's got a hurt leg. Uh, but Cameron, her boyfriend, is like at the, not even really at the top of the stairs, kind of the midpoint of the stairs. And Michael's doing his, he slams a lot of heads. This is like his new thing. He's, so he's slamming the kid's head into the stairwell. And like, Allison is like 10 feet away from Michael Myers' tops. I mean, She's not that far away. She has a knife. She could She could even just try to, like, throw the knife at him. Or I was just looking at this, and I was just like, do something, because he's killing her boyfriend for, like, a minute straight. He's, like, slamming his head, and then he, like, stops and, like, walks around the stairs and walks down the stairs part of the way and then, like, slowly turns back and, like, you know, twists his neck. And it's like, I know you got a messed up leg, but, like you could try something, but she just stands there and just kind of screams at yells at him, like not just words, just sort of screaming at him, uh, and then Cameron uh, bites the dust. So uh, really a not maximum effort there from Allison on trying to save her boyfriend's life, and then she's very easily overwhelmed by Michael Myers, and it looks like it's going to be curtains for her, but then Michael gets the old pitchfork in the back from Judy Greer's character uh, of Karen, who is there uh, to lure him into a trap. So she steals his mask and lures him out into the streets, and then Michael is confronted uh, by the posse uh, that has been hunting him all night. And this looks like the end of Michael Myers. I mean, he's beaten savagely. He's shot like six times. Uh, He gets stabbed like in the back of the neck. It looks like he's down. It looks like the town of Haddonfield has finally gotten their man. But this is where the movie, I think, just sort of gives up because... Uh, we then start getting this kind of philosophical thing from Laurie about the town of Haddonfield and that the, the, the real danger isn't Michael Myers. The real danger is the fear that Michael Myers spreads. And we've seen this through the whole movie, the idea that he inspired this mob that made the guy jump out the window and that, you know, really the, the fear that he spreads does more damage uh, than anything else, which, you know, that's an interesting way to turn the mythology. So you've killed Michael Myers. Uh, And now it's about how the legacy of Michael Myers is really the the real evil that you're going to have to get rid of in Halloween ends. Interesting way to turn the story. But then we're also at the same time Turning uh, the other way, uh, Michael now appears to be completely supernatural because he survived all of this. And again, just John Wicks, the entire mob, including Anthony Michael Hall. Sorry, Tommy Doyle. Uh, you're you're done for. Um, and and he, so now he's also an unstoppable killer. So the real danger may very well be the fear of Michael Myers, but it also is now apparently also very much Michael Myers himself, who looks as supernatural as he ever has been in this series and I think this is them wanting to have it both ways because I think that they probably would have known that you could be in a real Halloween 3 situation literally and figuratively if you kill Michael Myers here in this movie and then 3 is a Michael Myersless uh, movie with uh, about the legacy or maybe somebody new taking on the mask etc uh, I think they're like well no but we can't kill Michael Myers he's got to come back and the only way to make him come back is to make him essentially supernatural so Michael Myers is not dead he's back it appears that he kills Karen uh, Judy Greer's character who's gone alone into the Myers house to look out the window um, I actually thought maybe like oh interesting are they kind of setting up maybe Judy Greer is going to have something to do with this you know the legacy she gets pushed over the edge. no Michael just seemingly kills her, uh, and then stands there and looks out the window. uh, The end, see you next year. So like I was saying before, you know, I get that there are different kinds of horror movies. If you want to be a splattery schlockfest, that's cool. I've liked some of those movies. You want to build the legend of Haddonfield beyond Michael Myers, that's cool. Do you want to be an allegory about mob justice? That's an interesting choice, a weird choice, uh, but that's also cool. But Halloween Kills wants to be everything, uh, and they all conflict with each other, and they're all just very bad examples of the one thing they're trying to be. It's a very obvious metaphor slash allegory. Uh, they're very dumb people if you're trying to go for the, the the slasher movie type thing. I just, of all the things that it's trying to be, I just don't think it's particularly good at being any one of them. And then trying to combine all of them to me was just deadly. It is a completely shapeless, ironically, mess and I really hope that the third movie sort of disassociates itself from this one as much as possible because I've always said I would love for a sequel to a movie that I really didn't like to be really good because that means that we got a really good movie. And I would love for this iteration of the Halloween saga to come to a satisfying conclusion. Maybe we'll get the great showdown between Michael and Lori that they were establishing, really, in 2018's Halloween. Uh, maybe we'll get that payoff in the next one, although according to uh, quotes from David Gordon Green, the next one's going to be set like four years later and it's going to be in a world where the pandemic has actually happened. That'll be fun. Uh, let's stuff that in there as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to try my best not to prejudge it. Uh, it's still a year away, uh, even though I wasn't fans of either of these movies. If the third movie uh, can 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 pull this off and be a satisfying conclusion, then I could see myself kind of watching the parts of the first movie that I like and then watching the third movie because it's a great conclusion and just trying to ignore this one Altogether. And that's why I hope that Halloween Ends uh, sort of just distances itself from this one as much as possible. You said what you wanted to say in the second one, because I would like to just acknowledge this franchise as the first movie, the third movie, if it's okay, and then just skip the second. I am just uh, not a fan of these, and, and it really sucks because I was very, 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 very excited uh, for this iteration. And um, yeah. Bit of a letdown so far, but what did you think? What do you think of Halloween Kills? Do you like this new direction that the franchise is taking? Let me know down in the comments below, and please check the description as well for how to subscribe to the audio version uh, of the channel, so that you can get charts, reviews, uh, audio exclusive reviews, the live show, which is going to be coming back the first week of November. So find those links down there in the description, and as always, if you want to see what else I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com/slash Dan Merle. We're wrapping up October. We still have. Have a commentary a watch along lots of great things to do i'd love to have you come and join me over there but also thank you for watching me here on youtube and if you're listening on the dan merle podcast channel Thank you so much. We'll be here this time next year to talk about Halloween Ends, but there's a lot more that we're going to talk about between now and then. Tomorrow is Charts. We're going to talk about the box office weekend. It looks like a $50 million debut for this movie or so. We're going to break down all those numbers. And later this week, one of my most anticipated films of the year, Dune. I have my tickets for Thursday night at the IMAX. That review will probably be out on Friday. I am super excited to see this movie, talk about it. I'm going in cold. I actually don't know anything about the Dune I haven't seen uh, David Lynch's version. I haven't read the books. And I'm going to go into this world cold and see what Denis Villeneuve has uh, for everybody to watch. Thank you so much for joining me on this review for Halloween Kills. Until next time, stay safe. Bye.